dollars and welcome to avant-garde book story time i am sheree hardy and it is such a pleasure to be able to read to you again tonight i will be reading voice of freedom fanny lou hamer spirit of the civil rights movement this book was written by carol boston weatherford and illustrated by equa holmes if you have it feel free to just read along with me if you don't it's quite okay Get in a very comfortable place and just get relaxed and listen quietly to Voice of Freedom, Fannie Lou Hamer, Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement. Sunflower County, Mississippi. Minister Malcolm X once called me the country's number one freedom-fighting woman, but nothing about my beginnings would make you think anyone beyond these parts would ever hear my name. Mississippi. I was born here, the youngest of 20 children. My folks, James and Luella Townsend, were sharecroppers in Sunflower County in the Delta, where the soil was as rich as black folks was poor, where cotton was king and Jim Crow the law. When I was born on October 6, 1917, the plantation owner paid my mother $50 for producing a future field hand. The money helped my family through the winter. Child, I am proof that the Delta birthed the blues. Delta Blues. I was just six when I dragged my first bag down a row of cotton. My family, all 22 of us, worked in the field. Wasn't no other work to do. They didn't have no such thing as factories. These factories are something new. From sun up to sundown, dew to dark, can see to can't, twenty foot sacks over our shoulders, down miles of rows, we bent to pluck the cotton blossoming out. And hundred degree heat beat our backs. The dried bristles cut our knuckles and wrists. We picked fifteen tons of cotton a season, but couldn't get ahead for our lives. You see, the scale was always tipped in the owner's favor. Our so-called share of the crop never be enough to pay back the money we borrowed from the owner for seed, food, clothing, and supplies. Same sorry situation every season. Black people work so hard and we ain't got nothing to show for it. I told anyone who would listen, sharecropping was just slavery, but a gentler name. The same folks still had us, had us in chains. I was the baby, and my mother never let anyone in the family forget it. She told my father not to beat me, and she made my sisters and brothers give me piggyback rides, even though I weighed more than some of them. I could get into some mischief, too. By the time I cooked a bag of rice, I boiled over and made a big mess. My father was so angry that I ran off to get away from him. My mother saved me from a beating that time, too. My father wasn't always serious, though. After a long day in the field, he told jokes. We roasted peanuts and sang together. Sometimes they'd stand me on the kitchen table, and I would break into this little light of mine. I reckon I was a show-off. My mother taught me. A strong woman, my mother wore rags, patched with rags so her children could look decent. 
Even as a girl, I knew things weren't right. Whites had food, clothes, and everything, while blacks worked and worked and went hungry. One day I asked, why wasn't I white so that we could have some food? Don't feel like that, my mother said. We are not bad because we're black people. Next thing I knew, she had bought me a black doll, told me I want you to respect yourself as a black child. And as you get older, you respect yourself as a black woman. If you respect yourself enough, other people will have to respect you. My mother taught me years ago that black is beautiful. There, school was open for months, December through March, and when children were not needed to tend cotton. I liked school, even if black history was left out, and the textbooks made black seem like fools. I recited poetry, one many, a spelling bee, fair. May I have a definition, free of bias, dishonest, and injustice. Fair, F-A-I-R, fair. I sang too, up through sixth grade, and then left to work full time in the fields. My family needed every hand if we were ever to break even. At 13 years old, I picked 300 pounds a week, but I missed my school books. I gathered newspaper scraps along the roadside and magazines from the plantation's trash just to have something, anything to read. I was so hungry to learn, my mother drilled this into me. When you read, she said, you know and you can help yourself and others. Not much food and rarely meat on our table. Often greens with gravy or onions with bread or cornmeal. Neighbors gave my mother chitlins, pig feet, and hog heads for helping with the, do- the slaughter. Our beds were cotton sacks stuffed with corn shucks and grass. We had no electricity, heat, or plumbing and no money. For a doctor to look after whatever caused this limp or to save my mother's sight when a wood chip hit her eye. Once, my father managed to buy a wagon, plow three mules, Ella, Bird, and Henry, and two cows, Mullen and Della. But a white neighbor poisoned the livestock. Just couldn't stand to see black people getting ahead. That knocked us right back down to doggone, dirt poor, doing without. My parents never did get a chance to get up again. I sure did miss Della's milk. Not everyone could move up north. Hardship after hardship wore my father down. By the time I was 22, we had buried him. Most of my brothers and sisters moved up north, hoping for higher pay and a better life. I can't blame them. Jim Crow chokes every chance a black man gets down here. Who wouldn't long for something better? I might have gone too, but my mother needed care. I couldn't bear the thought of her in some nursing home. She was in her 80s, nearly blind, and worn down by hard work. When she moved in with me, sometimes I read to her. Other times, I'd hear her singing songs that would really sink down in me. Powerful messages, songs. I never regretted staying behind, not a single minute, not a single note. Worse off than dogs. I married Perry Hamer, Pop, as he's known, 
a good man, a few words, steady as a rock. My last name changed, but little else. I joined Pop on the Marlowe Plantation where he drove tractor. I just picked down different roads. I canned produce. Pop shot rabbits and squirrels, and we caught catfish and perch. On the side, we ran my father's old juke joint and sold bootleg liquor. We never went hungry, but we were still poor. We couldn't stand that the Marlowe's dog, Old Honey, had its own indoor bathroom, while me and Pat used an outhouse because our toilet stayed broken. The owner wouldn't fix it, said we didn't need it. Besides picking cotton, I was the timekeeper. I tracked hours, worked, bales, picked, and paid old. When the boss fixed the scales to cheat us sharecroppers, when I could, I used my own scale to set things right. When I couldn't, the lie weighed on me heavily. Motherhood. In 1954, me and Pap adopted two little girls. I sang spirituals to Dorothy, Jean, and Virgin Lee just like my mother had done to me. In 1961, a doctor tricked me into an operation supposedly to remove a growth. I awoke from the surgery to find that the doctor's knife cut more than a small tumor. He had removed the parts that God gave me to bring children into the world. I would never have babies of my own. A Mississippi law at that time said poor folks had no business making babies. That law may have taken my womb but no one else was going to take my voice. Literacy Test In 1962, my friend Mary Tucker told me about a meeting at William Chapel Church. Four men from out of town was pushing voter registration. Not a soul sitting in the pews had ever cast a ballot. To then, I didn't even know that blacks could vote. When the people would get out of the fields, if they had a radio, They'd be too tired to play it. So we didn't know what was going on in the rest of the state, even much less in other places. But my hand flew up when the man asked for volunteers to go to the county courthouse and register. In all, 18 of us signed on for the trip. I was just curious to go, so I did. I guess I'd had any sense. I'd been a little scared. But what was the point of being scared? The only thing they could do to me was kill me and it seemed like they've been trying to do that a little bit at a time ever since I could remember. An old written, rented bus drove us 30 miles to Indianola, what was the home of the violent white citizens council. Barking dogs and rifle-toting men met our bus. That was supposed to scare us. The circuit clerk only met two people in the courthouse at a time. I went first. I didn't know what to expect. I had to give my name and workplace and then read, copy, and explain parts of the Mississippi Constitution. I didn't know nothing about the law. No wonder I flunked the test. Now at least I knew that voting was my right. On the move. On the ride home, a policeman stopped our bus to arrest the driver. On account of the yellow bus looked too much like a school bus a phony charge if I ever heard one. We emptied our pockets, scraped together $30 toward the bogus fine. Back in the plantation, my boss had already set my stuff in the road. 
said they wasn't ready for that in Mississippi. He gave me a choice to withdraw my name at the courthouse or move on. All I could say was I didn't go down there to register for you. I was down there to register for myself. Later that night, I left my home and family to move in with the Tuckers. Before long, night riders came around. They shot in the house 16 times, thinking that I was there. I couldn't risk the Tuckers' lives. For two months, I moved from place to place, hiding out with friends and family. Then I rented a house in town near my family. Soon I moved in. I marched back into the courthouse, and we took the test. What did I have to lose? There was nothing they could do to me. They couldn't fire me because I didn't have a job. They couldn't put me out of my house because I didn't have one. There was nothing they couldn't take from me. Any, there was nothing they could take from me any longer. A month later, I heard that I had passed. The price of freedom. Before I could cast a single vote, I had to pay a poll tax I couldn't afford and dodge the night riders who cruised slow as molasses past my house with funds after my name was printed on, in the paper. Too bad about a registration card couldn't pay the rent. When Pap lost his job, we got bound $10 a week raised by those young voting rights workers who opened my eyes to the change coming. I hopped aboard that train. SNCC, SNCC. Those young folks were something else. Most belonged to SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was called SNCC for its initials. The college kids saw me as a leader. I made it plain why I joined the movement. All my life, I've been sick and tired, and now I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I toured the South with words from my heart and spirituals I learned at my mother's knee. I fired up many a rally. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But I wasn't singing for show. I was singing for freedom. Leadership came natural to me as singing. People took to me calling me the spirit of the civil rights movement. The Beating In June 1963, I went to citizenship school in South Carolina. On the way back, the bus had stopped in Columbus, Mississippi. Me and the other trainees was hungry and decided to try to eat in the terminal. We ordered breakfast at the whites-only lunch counter knowing segregation been outlawed. After a while, long wait, we was finally served. But the driver, bus driver, called the police. And down the road in Winona, we got kicked off the bus and thrown in jail. When I asked what was the charges, the police told me to shut up. They put us in separate cells and made other prisoners beat us, black and blue. They just kept beating me, the jailers telling me, you nigger bitch, we're going to make you wish you were dead. Through the pain, I quoted scripture. One prisoner beat me till we were both exhausted. Then the other took over. I waited three days for a doctor to show up. 
SNCC sent someone to bail us out, but the police locked him up and beat him too. It took Andrew Young from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to get us released. The same day, the NAACP leader, Medgar Evers, was slain in his driveway for teaching black people their rights. The other said, it was my singing what brought them through. That November, John F. Kennedy was killed and Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as president. He promised Dr. King to finish what Kennedy couldn't. In July of 1964, Johnson signed the Civil Rights Bill into law. The blood of freedom fighters was in his pen. All right, boys and girls, I'm going to stop right here. Let's read. Well, I'll read one more thing, and then tomorrow I'm going to finish the rest. Injustice. The federal government filed charges against the Winona police. I testified at the trial, but the all-white jury sided with the police. The beating left me more than just bruises and bad memories. A blood clot weakened my eyesight. My kidneys were damaged, and my limp got worse. But I was determined I was marching toward the promised land. Running. Not even a bad leg could stop me from standing up for what I believed in. Hard as we have to work for nothing, there must be some way we can change things. There must be something else. There was becoming a lawmaker myself. The next year, I ran for Congress in the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Death threats started to come at me soon as I announced I was running, but I didn't scare easy. I meant to prove that anyone, black or white, rich or poor, could get involved in American politics. I cast my first vote for myself. All right, boys and girls, that was part one. I will continue reading this book. It is Voice of Freedom, Fannie Lou Hamer, Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement. It was written by Carol Boston Weatherford and illustrated by Equa Jump Holmes. All right, boys and girls, stay tuned. I'll finish reading this book. Have a great night. Bye-bye.